Hi, it's Father Roderick, and you are about to listen to a new episode of How to Live Like a Hobbit. I hope you enjoy our podcasts. If so, can I ask you for a donation so we can keep making these shows available for free? At the time of this recording, we are in the middle of our winter fund drive. Currently, we are investing our last reserves into producing episodes like this one. If you can help us bridge the financial gap, we can continue our shows in 2017. Go to tridio.com slash giving to donate. SQPN is a 501c3 nonprofit organization under U.S. law, so depending on where you live, your donation may be tax-deductible. Thanks in advance for your support. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of How to Live Like a Hobbit. I'm your host, Father Roderick, and I'm surrounded with noise. I'm walking outside right now, and both on my right and on my left... You hear really nasty sounds. On the right, it's the sound of a machine that they use to blow away the leaves. And here on the, on the left, they're uh, sawing big trunks, tree trunks, into pieces for a, for a fire. And normally, I would not record this. I would not put this in... An episode of How to Live Like a Hobbit, but today I want to do that because it has to do with something that is not talked about a lot when it comes to the works of Tolkien, but that I think is essential if you are aspiring to live like a hobbit, and that is the role of sound, and also the opposite of that, the role of silence. And quiet moments in your life. Um, in Tolkien, uh, one of the things that is very apparent is the way in which he, uh, he, he makes opposites of the lifestyle of uh, the hobbits in the Shire and the quiet lives of the elves that live in the woods. And even though they do make sound, of course, because they have to talk to each other. Um, but they don't have an industry, nor do the hobbits. They do have small gear. I mean, they, they have a, a, a water mill, and, of course, they have their parties. Uh, but there is no industry in the Shire. There is no industry uh, in, in Rivendell. The elves seem to spend their time uh, writing poetry and walking through the beautiful forests, uh, studying, reading. That's very important to the elves. And when they make noise, it's either to communicate or it is to express themselves culturally. Um, both the hobbits and the elves love music. Remember the party tree in the Shire? Such an important place for the community there, the local community, because that's where they would get together to chat and to make music and to dance. But that's a kind, of, <laughs> a kind of noise, a kind of sound that is fitting for hobbits. It, it, it's an expression of who they are. Similarly with the elves. In the, in the forest you will hear sounds, you will have the wind rustling the leaves of the trees, you will have the sound of nature, of the birds and other animals that live there. The elves, of course, have their beautiful 
language that they used to converse and to write and sing poetry. They have harps and beautiful music that they will play during the night. Silly songs, wood elves, for instance. But again, there is no industrial sound. There is nothing that is grating to the ear. And the only menacing sounds come from the things that are truly menacing, like storms or um, thunder, lightning, fire perhaps, if there is a forest fire or something. The, the kind of roar that that causes is a, a signal that there is danger ahead of you. And the only exception to that is the sound that is created by a uh, meandering wizard, <laughs> Gandalf. And one of the sounds that he is most famous for is, of course, the sound of his famous fireworks. And especially the kids love it. And, and the way in which Peter Jackson portrayed that or, or showed that in the movies was excellent. Where you see the the shock when there is, you know, the sound of these explosions. Because, of course, it's an alerting sound. If there's an explosion, it means there's something potentially dangerous happening. And then there's the immediate relief when it's followed by beauty. All those sparkles. And, and uh, you have that moment of shock where <laughs> uh, Mary and Pippin launched this big firebolt illegally <laughs> and uh, and explodes and it creates this flying dragon and uh, shock and horror during that party but once it's gone and the two hobbits have been punished <laughs> then there is relief and laughter because the sound was just temporary and it didn't create uh, it, it wasn't uh, signaling any any danger in contrast with that we see the rise of Saruman and the rise of his industry his war industry it's very clear what Tolkien is doing there and he's creating a Middle Earth parallel to the um, uh, the industrialization that Tolkien himself witnessed around him that was creating factories and lots of noise it's destroying nature also creating all sorts of smells unpleasant smells like the kind of the the fumes that I'm currently breathing here there's this old jeep and there's a black a black cloud of of uh, smoke coming from it oh man that's awful Awful, awful, awful. I have to almost hold my breath. And again, if you remember the visualization by Peter Jackson in The Two Towers, when you see the rise of Saruman, it's always accompanied by horrible noise. Um, it's dark. There is smoke and fire. And everything is, is aggressive in those scenes, visually aggressive. There's stark contrast between the darkness of the sky and then these, these fires 
um, when they're tearing down the trees to make place for the the the, the factories or whatever the, the places where they build these war machines um, it's filmed with a lot of harsh light coming from well probably the moon or something like that but there's a there's there's nothing gentle about those images even the score the the amazing musical score um, amplifies that and from the flute and the harmony of the melodies of the shire which you can hum easily the moment it switches to the world of saruman it turns into these clanking noises you've got a lot of percussion and atonal music and it's it's even the music itself turns into noise into something that is aggressive that is not pleasant to listen to and it has that subconscious effect on us as viewers and even if you just read the stories you see that same contrast between the peacefulness and the beauty of the shire Rivendell, other, you know, oases of, of peace. And then the noise that always accompanies the, the danger and the threat of the orcs and evildoers like Saruman or Sauron. At the end of the story, of course, there's Mount Doom with the deafening sound of the eruptions of lava and the roar of the hot wind that circles around that mountain and it's like the shire is further away than than ever and Frodo and Sam are suffering because they were not made for that environment they have to push through it they can't avoid it it's, it's part of their mission to engage it but deep down below they long for the shire for the peace and quiet how many times did Bilbo think back of the shire when he was in the middle of a a storm in the mountains or, you know, threatened by Schmaug. And he's like, I wish I was back in the Shire where everything was calm and simple. Well, when we are aggressed by sounds, when we are in a noisy environment, both in terms of the noise around us, but also you can have visual noise. When you're in a situation where everything is ugly, how many of us live in neighborhoods or have to work in situations where beauty seems to be absent, seems never to have been on the minds of the people that created the buildings around us. It's, it's a, there is a when Tolkien wrote Saruman and his behavior and how he destroyed nature and how he destroyed beauty and peace. I think he very much targeted our own world where we tend to do the same sometimes. We forget that we are not made for just efficiency. That's, that's kind of the Saruman is like nature is not useful. So let's get rid of those trees. What's useful for him is power, is strength. And he shapes the world so that it serves him. And he doesn't care about beauty. He doesn't care about peace, silence, or music. If his strength and power can be amplified by noise, then sure, go ahead. And even the 
his armies will use noise and these rally cries and, and drums and, and trumpets and whatnot to, to instill fear in the hearts of the dwarves and the elves and the humans, the hobbits too, that he's trying to destroy. And the Shire and the elves in Rivendell live according to a very different paradigm. It's not in their, in their minds even to, to want to dominate nature, to shape the world so it serves them. But they are much more in tune with the world around them. You wouldn't hear these sounds of this machine here on the on the other side of the of the water I'm walking alongside a river and on the other side there is this truck or whatever it is and it's it's uh, it's removing the branches and everything because it's in the way of the entrance to the industrial complex behind it It's actually blowing the leaves and the branches into the water, but polluting the water by doing that. Of course, it's all organic material, but still. I mean, it's, 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 it's what we do. We have this tendency as humans to shape the world to our needs. And it is to a certain degree, I think we are entitled to that, just as the hobbits, of course use the nature around them to grow their potatoes and their carrots and they will build houses and try to use the water energy for the mill so that they can um, uh, make the the ingredients necessary for, for bread and for food and whatnot. So there is always a certain, to a certain extent um, a, a let's say, a remodeling of nature so that we can benefit from it. But it's never destroying it. It's always in a certain balance, to a certain, to a certain degree, whereas Saruman wants everything. It's just like his hunger for power. His attitude towards nature is a reflection of his insatiable hunger for more. Because deep down inside, he, he longs for something that he can't have. The power of Sauron. And Sauron knows that, of course. And Sauron, too, will hold on to his power as much as he can. So ultimately, Saruman is always the loser. I think it's also one of the things that Gandalf warns him for. It's like, Sauron will never be your friend. He will stop you as long as he has been able to use you for his power, for his interest. And you're still useful. But the moment you're not useful and you become a threat, that's when he will kill you. He will get rid of you. Because power is, is never... Well, it depends on this kind of power, but the kind of... <laughs> the kind of hunger for power that you see in Saruman and Sauron doesn't uh, tolerate friendships. It doesn't tolerate sharing. It just wants everything. And 
it will destroy anything that seems to be useless, like beautiful trees, like animals, like hobbits and elves, you know, creatures that in Middle-earth don't seem to have a particular purpose, at least not for Saruman or Sauron. And it's this instrumental attitude towards everything that surrounds them, including nature, that um, for Tolkien is the root of, of all evil. It's, again, the, the message of Tolkien is very profound. Um, what he tries to convey is, as long as we look at the people around us, the world around us, as a tool for our benefit then we're going to destroy it. And we are ultimately going to destroy everything, including ourselves. And the moment you adopt the opposite attitude, which is an attitude of friendship, of uh, wanting to serve, because that's, I think, what characterizes both Frodo and Bilbo, they're willing to serve. If no one else wants to carry or can carry the ring... Frodo will step forward and I, he says, I will do it. I will carry that ring. And his enti- the entire success of his mission is based on him committing himself to that service every time. He doesn't need to do that. He could grab the power. He could, you know, follow the path of, of, uh, uh, of, of the, 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 the previous owners of the ring and, and try to deviate the world and uh, or manipulate the world so that it serves him so that he doesn't have to suffer anymore but Frodo is a very pure hobbit and even though both Bilbo and Frodo do get tempted by uh, by the ring and what it stands for ultimately they always come back to this you know, the heart of the hobbit, which is a heart that wants to serve and wants to be there for other people. Hobbits are very, very social creatures that are able to empathize and to feel the pain that someone else is feeling, to have mercy. That's also something that's very uh, important in, in the story, especially the kind of the revision of the whole encounter between Bilbo and Gollum. And uh, emphasizing that moment where Bilbo decides not to kill Gollum, even though he could, he had the power, but to spare him out of mercy, changed the course of history of Middle-earth. If he hadn't done that, the ring might have never been destroyed. Um, So, in a very subtle way, Tolkien teaches us very important things. And that is, if if you're self-centered... If you are unwilling to serve or to sacrifice yourself for the good of others, then the world around you will turn dark and you may destroy more than you ever realized. And that includes, um, it, it will destroy the peace, the inner peace. Well, what is the most appealing thing of this fictional life of the hobbits, this almost utopian existence in the Shire. It's this calm, predictable, peaceful, safe environment that we all long for because we don't live in the Shire. 
we don't live in the ideal world. Sometimes we touch it. Sometimes there are moments that you would like to freeze frame. But every time, just like Frodo, just like Bilbo, we cannot dwell there. We cannot stay forever in beautiful Rivendell. We have to move on. Our mission brings us back into this noisy, dark, dangerous world. And every time, the thing that keeps us going is this dream that it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be noisy. It shouldn't be dark. We, we need to move away from that. We, we need to push through so that we can return to the state that we were made for. Which, of course, is something that you will never really truly attain here on Earth. Even Bilbo, when he returns to his beloved Shire, doesn't re-enter an ideal world. The Shire has changed too. The, 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 his fellow hobbits are emptying his house. <laughs> Greed has taken over. And it will take quite a while for Bilbo to find that balance again. And ultimately, he doesn't. And he, he moves away with the, with the elves. He can't stay anymore. And Frodo, same thing. And that is, uh, I think, uh, another very Catholic element in Tolkien's description of, of the events in both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Ultimately, we long for a world that lies beyond our shores. And the Grey Havens are this point of departure where they will move to a world where they might actually truly live in that utopian situation. It's no longer a utopia. It's reality. What lies beyond the Grey Havens is, I think, a bit of an image of what we call heaven, where there will be no destruction anymore, no danger, no noise. But everything will be will be there, it will match what we are made for. <laughs> because we are not made for selfishness and corruption and domination. We are made to serve, to give, to express ourselves, to, to love, and to share. That's what heaven is made of. That's probably what the world beyond the Grey Havens is, is made of. We don't get any details, by the way, which I think is great. If Tolkien would have lived now and a company like Disney would have bought the franchise you could bet that there would be a sequel to The Lord of the Rings and those movies would describe perhaps what lies beyond the Grey Havens in detail and give us what we want to know you know, we're so curious why does the story stop at that moment of departure why can't we see what will happen and we, we, we'll, we only see a bit of the events the subsequent events in the Shire, but we've already been there. But we're always hunkering for more. We want to know what's, what, what lies beyond those grey havens. The only way to know for Tolkien is by crossing over. And nobody comes back to tell you what you find there. You see the analogy with heaven <laughs> and death? Um, and in Tolkien's vision, death in the form of, you know, this passage and this departure from the Grey Havens is this final journey into the great unknown. And you just have to trust it. You can't really know what's there. You just have to believe and, you know, 
give yourself over to the the wind that will blow in your uh, in the what's it, what's it called <laughs> the um, in your, your, that is propelling your 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 boat your sailboat so if you if you think from the perspective of Tolkien of that ultimate destiny for the elves and as we learn also why not for some of the hobbits and perhaps even other uh, creatures of Middle Earth if that's our destiny if that's what we're ultimately made for then everything that is not in line with that is not helping us to get there there is something that we need to try to eradicate. And how do you do that? Because that's ultimately, of course, the practical side of this question, how to live like a hobbit. We are not going to cross the Grey Havens anytime soon. And hopefully for most of us, we will live a happy life for many years to come. And yet we are not always in an ideal world and there is a lot of noise. So what, what can you do? Well... To give you an example, when I started this recording, there was this awful noise. And what I did was I moved away from it. I just kept walking. And I could, of course, irrita- be irritated and rant about it and, and uh, uh, be frustrated. But instead, it's much easier to just keep walking. And now... The sounds of the industrial uh, area of my town are far away. The wind is, is, is even dispersing the, the sounds. I, I do hear a bit of traffic very far, far away in the distance. But otherwise, there are just some bikes passing me by very, very silently. There's this man here on his bike and you, you barely hear it. Just a tiny little bit of sound. And then I hear birds and the rustling of the leaves in the trees or most of the trees are have lost their leaves because we're in I'm recording this uh, during the fall but it's quiet and you hear a bit of the wind and that's it and so that would be my number one recommendation if you are often in a noisy environment and it's getting on your nerves find moments to step away from it And it's almost impossible for any one of us to completely avoid noise, unless we move. Which, by the way, is always an option. Well, not always. Sometimes financially it's not possible. But we're never really glued to to the place where we live. There are so many examples of people that move away from the big cities and find a spot to live in the countryside or go to a smaller village. I've lived many years in the heart of a city, busy cities, in Belgium and in uh, in the Netherlands as well. I'm right now. I live uh, a little bit more in a in an area outside of the city center of the small town where I live, the small city. And there's much less noise. There's some traffic. But usually that calms down and there's not there's just not much noise. And I like it. Um, the noisiest thing close to my home are the bells of the church. 
but they only toll when there's something positive going on, you know, something valuable. Uh, and every once in a while, there will be uh, like a, a motorcycle passing by, and they have this horrible, like, grating sound. And that's when you realize how quiet it, nor- it normally is. You don't, you don't hear that. You're not used to it. So, um, I think I'm, I'm very quite happy actually to, to not be in the center of a, a big city. Of, I, I, I was in Rome. Not so long, not so long ago, and it, it, it um, struck me even more how busy that city is. And even though you're surrounded by architectural beauty, very, very ancient buildings and uh, the remains of the of the Romans and everything, it's it's a very beautiful city. But the thing that spoils it is the traffic, the terrible, terrible noise of the. Italian traffic where everybody is honking where a lot of the cars are old and 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 noisy and uh, even the people are noisy <laughs> they're just there's just a lot of chatter and it's it's if you're not used to that it's hard to to stay there for more than a couple of days and when I got came back it was the first thing I noticed is like wow it's so quiet here and the first thing I did was to go out for a walk because I want to be outside. I don't want to smell the fumes of those cars and trucks. I, I just want to be outside and smell what nature smells like in the fall. It's so much better. Um, another thing that you can do is to improve the, the, the visuals around you. Um, there can be visual noise. For instance, if you live in a nasty neighborhood where <laughs> you know outside of your window there's not much to look at, you know, gray apartment buildings or just um, 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 it's a mess outside. Why don't you create beauty inside? You can turn any room into something prettier than it currently is using very simple things like colors. I, I talked about that in one of the previous episodes. You know, find some paint in nice earthen tones. You know, look at the, at the pictures in the, in the movie of what the Shire looks like and the, uh, the, the hobbit holes. And Why not use similar colors? Uh, flowers. Nicely colored um, curtains. Uh, even the table uh, one of one of my uh, things one of the things on my to-do list when it comes to my my own apartment is to get rid of um, the kitchen table which is this very awfully looking old second-hand uh, rusty table and it has this flat grayish surface and it looks just terrible the floor same thing and this this uh, plastic or what is it I don't even know what it is on the floor and it's been there for 20 years and it's just this grayish color and it's yeah it's really not nice and I want to replace that with another color on the floor something uh, perhaps with some red or brown tones in it um, 
and that doesn't have to be expensive because it's nowadays you have these imitation tiles or whatever it's you can do a lot for not much money and i want to replace a table by a wooden table because there is something about you know just using natural material uh that creates a different atmosphere and on the table <laughs> i'd like to have a pot of tea and fruit that kind of stuff uh, perhaps some flowers that will recolor my uh my mornings every single day of the week i'm crossing a small bridge here over the water some more bikes are coming from the other side and in the distance i can see the green meadows of holland technically speaking this is not holland this is the netherlands this is the center of the, of the netherlands but it is uh it's very green and the color the sky is orange uh, right now um, there, there there are quite a few clouds but it's breaking up in the distance and i see some yellow where the sun is uh, still reaching the earth and uh all the way in the distance it's coloring because the sun is already setting we're still we're in the fall so it's it's turning dark early but it's just an example of how i would like to create beauty or a bit of beauty i mean the kitchen is what it is and it's second hand and uh, it's a bit hodgepodge um and of course uh, if i would rebuild that entire kitchen it would cost a fortune and you know that's 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 not the hobbit way either it, you want to keep things simple but with a few improvements i think i can create a nicer environment in the kitchen where i spend every single morning you know it marks kind of it colors your day literally um the same thing for the place where you work even if you work in a cubicle and it's all you know nowadays they do these um interchangeable workspaces do you know that where where people sit at a desk but the next day they might be moved to another place and you just plug in your laptop or you log into the mainframe whatever system and then uh they they have taken away our roots they they've taken away our ability to um to create a space that is personal that is that is colorful that matches us it's all part of this drive this very saromanesque drive for more efficiency interchangeability it's it's turning us into tools instead of human beings with talents and qualities and i think it's a bad trend but there are ways to to change that you could take things from home and even if you have have to sit at a desk a different desk every day you can still take a photograph of your family um i don't know plastic flower <laughs> some some uh some decoration from home i've also said that um if if you work on computers a lot you can color your desktop and um ever since i recorded that episode where i suggested that that's what i've been doing and i've i've uh, looked for photos of the set the shire uh, set in matamata in new zealand 
and found the most amazing photos. And I created this collection of desktop photos and I told my computer to change them every hour. And so visually, when I'm at my desk, I'm in Middle Earth, I'm in the Shire, and those images really change my mood. It's, it's very weird. I've also been looking for background sounds. Again, it was one of the suggestions, I think, in the first episode of How to Live Like a Hobbit. And it's funny. There, there is this app that I use um, to concentrate. It's, uh, it's called Coffativity. <laughs> Look it up. Coffativity. <laughs> so it, it creates the sounds of a coffee store, of, like Starbucks or whatever. Um, because apparently... And they told me that there's even, you know, research that seems to prove this. Uh, when you have a little bit of background noise, you're able to focus more than if it's completely silent. So I was hoping that coffativity would also have natural sounds, um, like you have in some of those apps on mobile devices for people that want to sleep but can't sleep. You have these calming sounds, of course. It's kind of doubtful if that really helps. But those, that, those sounds were not available in coffeeativity. Again, it's, it's probably a reflection of, our, of the people that make that and the people that use that app. And so the most peaceful place in the city is Starbucks. <laughs> so I'm still looking for a good app on my desktop to create um, a soundscape that can... It, the, what it can do is, uh, or some more bikers here, and uh, the the if you have a bit of background sound, and it's not obtrusive, of course, um, it can drown out other more grating sounds. So if you live in a noisy environment, it's some, sometimes people have these noise machines, white noise machines. If you live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of traffic, or you know, all sorts of noise that keeps you up at night. Sometimes it helps to install this white noise machine and it will just create this noise. You get used to that after a while. You don't hear it anymore. And what it does is it, it overpowers, you know, the, the sudden sounds, the, the sounds that are um, waking you up because they are alerting you to danger. At least that's what your mind is telling you. Um, I'd like to have a natural version. I don't care that much for the white noise that comes out of those machines. But I would like to have, you know, just give me Middle Earth sounds. <laughs> not the Saruman kind, but the uh, Rivendell sounds. Why not? Um, music can play a role. Sometimes end the day in beauty. You listen to some classical music. Don't do the, you know, upbeat, happy clappy music that you may play in the morning to wake yourself up, but uh, just some calm, nice classical music could truly help, again, to create a mood to reposition yourself into a temporary place where, where you belong, where you truly belong. We're not made for noise. We're not made for aggressive, nasty-looking things around us. We need to create beauty. And so that would be my, my biggest takeaway for this episode. Um, even if you don't live in a situation where it's always quiet and peaceful and beautiful, there are simple ways that you can think about to 
at least compensate for the ugliness around you by creating peaceful visuals and surround yourself with with something else than you know there's this plane flying above me you're you're not safe anywhere in this tiny country of the Netherlands where there are so many people and they have so many machines and there are days that I don't mind at all I don't even notice it but there are days when I'm more tired and I long for rest and and these sounds are 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 not what I want so let me know if you have any other tips to create um, this shire-like atmosphere around you uh, calm down your nerves there's one final tip that I want to mention that is you know take my advice from a couple of episodes ago and go bake a cake <laughs> I've been doing that a couple of times now create you know bake an apple pie and oh my gosh it, it creates it, it, this smell that fills the house is like music to my ears It's like, this is what the world should smell like. This is what I imagine heaven will smell like. Apple pie. Why not? <laughs> It's much better than the fumes of traffic. So go bake something. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. I got some nice feedback on the previous episodes of how to live like a hobbit. And initially, I only wanted to do a couple of those and then move on to something else. But, well... I try to listen to the listeners, and uh, many of you have told me, please do this more often. And uh, there is so much more to think about and that we can learn from, from Tolkien and the world that he created. So, yeah, I might not do an episode every week, but every once in a while, when I come up with another idea for how to live like a hobbit... I may record another episode. So stay subscribed and also check out our website at tridio.com. That's T-R-I-D-E-O.com. If you're a fan of Middle Earth and Tolkien and you haven't listened to our series Secrets of Middle Earth, that is your next destination. Be at tridio.com and check out that series that we've created over the years, walking around in the digital version of Middle-earth in Lord of the Rings Online and we take you to a lot of different places in that world as we explore the history and the surroundings and I, I think you will enjoy it. So again, that's tridio.com and then finally, if you can, would you be willing to support us during our, our winter fun drive? Um, I'm recording this uh, around you know, the second half of November in 2016. And in order to be able to continue to bring you these shows, we are trying to raise $50,000. We already have a number of donors, but most people just listen and never donate. And I can totally understand that. But if you can, if you want to help us out, uh, check out tridio.com slash, what was it again? giving I think giving or go to tridio.com and you will find some information there I really hope that we can f find the funds to to continue this work it's uh, it's always reaching new people which is a great joy and more and more people but if we can't make these shows then we can't build the community so 
Thank you so much for your support or for considering it. Take care. See you next time.